<clears throat> it would have been an early morning, and I remember it so clearly. Uh, my mom would have loaded me into her van and then dropped me off at church very, very early on in this morning. And there would be about 20 of us in high school at this time, and we would all get dropped off by our parents, and we would have one backpack and then uh, our sleeping bags. And as we got there, we then were shoved basically into these uh, 15 passenger church vans, the ones that are now currently like illegal for churches to drive, right? <clears throat> and we were just shoved in there with all of our junk. And we were led away. We had no idea where we were going. We were never told where we were going. Uh, we just were loaded in at like four in the morning, which if you ask me, there's only one four o'clock in the day and it never is a.m., <laughs> To be honest with you, 6 should always be followed by p.m., not a.m. also. But that's a whole other story, right? And as we are loaded into this car, we have no idea where we're going. And, and our youth pastor at the time and all these other adult leaders are driving us to this undisclosed location with about 20 of us high school kids. And if this sounds like the beginning of a horror story, that's what it felt like. And we got to this place as we're zipping and, and zagging, weaving through these trees on this sand path in a 15-passenger van, let me remind you, with bald tires. And we finally arrived, and they said, get out. We have arrived. And we get out, and we're expecting something incredible. And we're in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. And they said, all right, these are your teams. <clears throat> Grab your bags. Grab your supplies and start the couple mile hike into camp. And I remember thinking to myself, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> and as we started this hike, we got to camp after about two and a half, three miles, carrying our stretcher with a whole bunch of supplies of pots and pans and water filter and food supplies and uh, a, a little hatchet and some rope and a tarp. And the first thing as we arrived, they said, the first thing you got to do is set up your, your shelter with this 10-foot this tarp and some cheap rope that was bought at the dollar store. So we tried to figure out how to make a shelter for four people out of this tarp and this rope. And we're tying it to everything that we can imagine. And we're trying to get it secure. And when we finally have figured it out, and we have it all set. They're like, okay, now you need to go get firewood because this whole entire weekend that you are here, you are going to build a fire as a team. And your, your team has to keep your fire going the whole entire weekend that you are here. It cannot go out. That includes at night. So somebody will have to stay by the fire in the middle of the night to make sure it is well fed, burning, and continuing to go. There must be a flame at all times. All right, so we go out, and we're trying to find wood, and they give us this little hatchet, which, by the way, has never been opened, so that means it's not sharp. And we cut down these trees, and I say cut. That's a very loose term. And we start this journey on this weekend, a survivor weekend. Anybody ever seen the show? Lucky for us, they actually gave us food, and we didn't have to hunt deer or fish because I would have died. <laughs> Um, and it was an incredible time, an incredible time as we ate off-brand oatmeal because we were cheap, off-brand ravioli and bread and peanut butter because it's high school students, why buy the good stuff? And I remember this trip 
so vividly because I've gone on it multiple times when I was in high school. Then I went back and I helped lead it as well. And I remember as I was thinking about this trip, specifically every single summer during my high school years, and then a few summers after that as an intern, I'd go on and I'd lead it. And I remember asking this question of what happens to you when you are hungry? What happens to you when you are hungry? Have you ever been even a step beyond hungry? And I'm not talking about hangry. I'm even talking about further. Have you ever been even a step beyond that, where you are so desperate for anything and everything just to meet the physical need that you have? Getting out of this survivor trip after leading it, there was one weekend where we were not just there for a weekend, but as leaders, we were there for six days. We had two different camps come in. So the first camp came in, and then in between them, there was a little bit of a break, and then the second group came. And so I was out in the middle of nowhere uh, for six days. It was awesome. Terrifying, but awesome. And I remember as we got back to the car after every student had left and everything, and we were just standing there, and, and the only thing that we wanted to do, the very first thing that we wanted to do after that moment was we wanted to get like the best five-course meal, the quickest possible time, right? So we went to Burger King, and because it was like right around the corner, and as we get out of the woods, we, we like, you know, basically like drift into the parking lot. We're so hungry. The car's not even stopped yet, and we're jumping out of the car, and we walk in, and we're like, we're going to take like eight Whoppers and like six fries and milkshakes and drinks, and that is the worst idea in the world, after basically eating nothing for six days to go to Burger King, have it your way was a horrible idea. <laughs> but I remember saying the words right up, I'm just so hungry, I'm starving. I'm starving. Have, have you ever felt like you were starving? Have you ever felt like you were starving to the point that you were willing to eat anything and everything just to meet that need? Have you ever felt like you were starving to find a truth in your life that you've been seeking and searching for, but you just haven't found it yet? Have you ever felt like you were starving for more of the presence of God in your life, and you just don't know where or how to go about it? Have you ever felt like you were starving? I mean, on this trip, I, I know I was starving for the physical things, Right? My stomach was empty. I was so hungry. And, and we're going to go and seek to fill the need and to just maybe even barely meet the need that we have with anything and everything around us, even if it's complete junk. But have we also done the same thing in our spiritual lives? Where we're starving for spiritual truth, but we're just going to settle for the quickest, easiest thing available to us to meet that need. Have we sought to actually... Feast on the bread of life and the drink from the living waters that are available to us so that we will never hunger or thirst again. How do you do this, though? Where do you go? How do you feast on his presence? But what if, what if in order to feast on his presence and drink from the living water, in order to do that, we actually have to refuse the physical? If you want the bread of life, refuse the bread of the world, the crumbs of the world. If you want to drink from the living water, 
go to God's well and not a water fountain of the culture. We have to fast or abstain from the things of the world, and by doing so, we will find more of him in our lives. For some of us, I just said a pretty taboo word, the F word, fast. Because when we start thinking about fasting, that gets us uncomfortable because that means we have to become uncomfortable. But that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean for us to be anchored in his presence through the discipline of fasting? John Piper puts it this way. Ultimately, we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything this world has to offer us. We fast because we want more of God than anything that this world would offer us. Another way to say is this, is we fast to seek and submit to God's will in our lives. What is our end goal when we fast? It's to seek and submit to his will and his presence in our lives. In order to truly understand what a fast is and, what, and how we go about it, we have to understand what a fast is, but also what it is not. Is that fair? So here's what it is. Fasting, number one, fasting will not prevent the storm of temptation in your life. It will provide an anchor in the storm of temptation, but it will not prevent the storm. Maybe you've walked through a storm in your life and you're like, God, if you could just make this not happen again, that would be fantastic. I've said those exact words, right? But rather, instead of preventing the storm, what if his goal is for us to find anchor in him so that we can weather the storm effectively? So what does that look like? Turn to Matthew 4 with me. This is what it says in Matthew 4, 1 through 2. So, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted, and he became very hungry. Hold up. Hold up. What happened right before this? Many of us maybe know what happened before us. If you don't, that's okay. It's totally good. This is what happened right before us. This is the moment where Jesus comes and he is baptized by John the Baptist. And and in the story, it goes that as he gets into the water and John is baptizing him, we see the, the father present in a voice of, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the spirit descends in the form of a dove. And Jesus, the son of God being baptized, the Trinity is physically audibly present in this moment. Jesus is affirmed in his identity by the voice of his father from heaven. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. Even the John the Baptist, many would be like, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been looking for? And he's like, yo, no, whoa, I am not him. The one who's coming after me. I'm, I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. And here comes Jesus and John baptizes him. So this is an incredible moment, right? If we've ever experienced a baptism moment, even in the church or personally, we know this is an incredible, exciting, celebratory moment. Like, it's so impactful. And we know there's angels that would be rejoicing in the heavens and all of this. And then look what it says again, right? In another translation, it says, immediately. Immediately? Are you kidding me? This is the moment where Jesus is baptized and then immediately the spirit leads him into the wilderness. 
This is the same spirit that descended like a dove now is leading him into the wilderness? The desert? He's leaving the coolness of the Jordan River to go sit in the barren wilderness to weather a storm of temptation. He's leaving crowds to go be isolated. He's leaving the moment of like this great anointing to be attacked. Heaven's being opened up to, to hell right before him. Do we understand the tension in this moment of immediately he leaves this moment of baptism to go into the wilderness to weather a storm in his life? But I only thought God wanted to lead us into prosperity and happiness and abundance and unicorns and rainbows all the time. Anybody, right? Like, man, that'd be nice. And notice God doesn't lead Jesus into temptation, but rather he leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, to face the storms. And it says he fasts for 40 days. 40 days. Why? What if potentially Jesus is fasting so he can be prepared to overcome the temptation that is common to us all? That in the desert, in the storm of his life that he's facing in the wilderness, that as he fasts, he knows the testing, he knows the temptation, the struggles and the trials that we all will face too. And yet, he doesn't cave in. The, the story later goes on as, as he's tempted of turn this rock into bread. And he's like, nope, nope. I'm not satisfying with a quick, easy fix. Jesus faces the storm head on. He faces the temptation and the trial head on through the discipline of fasting. And the goal of fasting, here's number two, the goal of fasting is not to be a better self, but rather a surrendered life. It's not to be a better self, but rather a surrendered life. If you would flip over just two chapters later in Matthew 6, this is what it says, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. No one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows that you, what you do in private. And your father who sees everything, he will reward you. So this comes right after Jesus teaches the disciples as they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he's like, pray like this. And he gives them the, the structure, the format of what we would know as the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. This is the format of what you should pray. And then he, he tags along this, this reality of, and don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the religious elite. When you fast, don't sit there and, oh, I'm so hungry and be looking so miserable and struggling. No, no, no. Go take a shower. Don't, don't be stinky. Wash your face. Present yourself. See, the, the problem Jesus had with the hypocrite version of fasting is that it was drawing attention to themselves. It was all about them, and it's not about God. That's the problem he had. 
but rather Jesus says God promises to bless us when we draw near to him in secret in our fasting. And fasting is something good, but it was corrupted by the broken religious elite. I mean, we've done this too in the church, right? There's been moments where I remember growing up in church and, and, and growing up in church, it was always this idea that on Sunday morning, you always had to look your very, 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 very best. Growing up, I would have never dared to wear these jeans to church. Because <laughs> my grandma would have looked at me and been like, Kyle? And I would have been like, I am so sorry, grandma. <laughs> I would have had a polo shirt on. Guilty confession, the only time I wear polo shirts is if I go golfing now. I hate them. But we always had to wear our very best. We had to put this outward appearance on and, and try to make this idea that everything's well put together, everything's this. And I think we've done that somewhat in the church. I'm not saying that dressing up is bad. What I'm saying is that I fell into this temptation to look at somebody as they walked into church and automatically judge them and say, ooh, why do they not have on dress khakis? Why do they have on jeans? Something's not, as, they're not as spiritual as I am. They're not as close to God as I am, right? Like we've corrupted some stuff. We compare our clothes that we wear. Or what about as I grew older and as a teenager, I drove this sweet 1996 Pontiac Grand Am GT with a turbo engine, and both the exhausts had holes in them, so it was so loud. My in-laws could hear me from a mile and a half away, right? When I still drove that thing with 200 some odd thousand miles on it. But I remember walking through the parking lot and being like, you drive that? Man, my car that had a hole even in the gas tank, I could only fill it up halfway, could beat that thing in a street race, right? Like we would, we would do this comparison game. We've corrupted stuff that isn't bad in and of itself. Cars are not bad, clothes are not bad, but we've corrupted it to make a need about us rather than what God has done and what God is providing. Fasting in scripture is not also, it's not about losing weight. It's not about saving money or even becoming this more spiritual person. Rather, fasting has always been connected to the desire to draw closer and nearer to God through humility and surrender. And it's often during a time when somebody needs a radical breakthrough. It's often during a time where people are seeking answers, direction, or guidance. Fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. That's a good tweetable line right there. For those of you that use Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it now. <laughs> or if you're on threads, I don't know if you're on that yet. Fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. Richard Foster puts it this way, though. More than any other discipline, more than any of the other disciplines, fasting reveals the things that actually control us. Woo! Fasting reveals the things that control us. And many of us that are sitting here, you're like, okay, I'm talking about fasting. I get it. But what does that mean for me? Maybe there's a stirring going on, a conviction even in your soul. Like, what do I do now? How do I go about this? What does that look like? And, and where do you even start with this? 
And I think you start with this question. Is there any under-surrendered area of your life that you need to fully surrender to God? Is there an under-surrendered area of your life? We're really good at this, right? Like, God, take it all, have it all. It's all yours. But then when he was like, all right, I want that piece. And you're like, yeah, hold up, hold up. A lot of times, guilty confession is with our finances. <laughs> hey, God, you can take it all, have it all. All is yours. Like, I surrender all. And he's like, will you surrender the porn addiction that you have? But that makes me feel more manly. So like, can you not touch that one? Or God, have it all. It's all yours. Okay, I want you to give financially more. I want you to take a bigger step in your trusting of me with your finances. But God, money's really tight right now. Or I've been saving up for this new boat. I don't want to do that. God, take it all, have it all. I want you to have an initiated conversation with your coworker. Number one. Now I can only talk with one hand. God, I want you to, uh, Kyle, I want you to start this conversation with someone. Now I want you to start this conversation. Sorry, let me make sure that mic is off so there's no feedback. Um, I want you to have this conversation with someone and, and talk to them about your faith. I want you to share what I've done in your life with them. Yeah, but God, they don't believe or they don't look at things the same way I do. Like, they live a totally different lifestyle. Yeah, I want you to be in their life with them. You surrender all, right? Or are those just fluffy words that you say to make you feel better? Where do you start? You start with an under-surrendered spot in your life, and you fully surrender. A place where temptation is keeping uh, just tabs on you and holding you down. Maybe it's a, a place where you need Jesus to heal or provide or to show up in a dynamically new way. That's where you start. And what happens if fasting is the start in the answer that you've been searching for? What happens when God shows up because you've released or abstained from something in your life? And instead of partaking in that, you have sat with him, soaked in his presence. The last thing I want to share with you is this is um, what fasting is and what fasting is not. Fasting is also not starving yourself. It is feasting on the word of God. It's not starving yourself. It's feasting on the word of God. In John chapter 4, I had it marked until my bookmark left. John 4, this is what it says. Uh, verses 32 through 34. So Jesus replies, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked. And Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. This is the moment where Jesus is sitting there at a well with a Samaritan woman. And she's drawing water and, 
And she's having this conversation with him of like, we shouldn't be talking. I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And we shouldn't have this conversation. And you know, you know, all this bad stuff that's been going on with me. And Jesus talks to her and he's like, what about your husband? And she has multiple different dudes she's been with. And so he, he reveals to himself or to her that he is the Messiah. He basically looks at her and he's like, sweetheart, if you only knew. Sweetheart, if you only knew who you were really talking to today. You're, you're grabbing a drink from this well, but if you come to me, you will never thirst again. I am the living water. I am the one you've been waiting for, you've heard all about. I am he. <laughs> if you only knew, sweetheart. As the disciples return, they, they're like, Jesus, we're, we got you some food. He's like, I'm good. They're like, did you eat? And he's like, no, I have a nourishment a spiritual nourishment that comes from the Father that you will soon understand more. The physical food that you give, that's secondary. I have a spiritual food that has just satisfied beyond measure. It's not a clever metaphor, but it's a genuine reality for Jesus. That Jesus was in fact being nourished. He was in fact being sustained by the power of God. And here's the cool part. We're invited into feasting on the same exact nourishment that Jesus was. We're invited to feast on the same nourishment. When we walk in, stepping in line with God, we spiritually are fed too. In a culture that constantly is trying to vie for our attention, vie for our input, vie for our, our hearts, we have to understand that our nourishment has to come from feasting on the word of God. The local news outlets cannot ever fill your spiritual need. The latest cultural trend, modern culture, narratives cannot fill you. Your relationship with your spouse or your significant other or friendships cannot fill you. Your kids cannot fill you. The only way to be filled spiritually is through the bread of life in the living water that comes only through God, through Jesus. So the question I would have is where do you and I turn when we are spiritually hungry, when we are spiritually starving? Where do we turn? For many of us, we turn to the easy things. And when I start talking about fasting, you're like, okay, I'll fast from the news. Can I challenge us in something today? Because I've done this. I was a youth pastor for years. And we did these 30-hour these fasts with middle school students and where they would fast from food and we challenge them to fast from, you know, social media and all this stuff. And, and hear me on that. There's times for that. There are themes for that. And I think that's incredibly beneficial. But I think as a church, we also have done a disservice sometimes to, to each other when we only call for a fast from the easier things in our lives. I know there's many of us who, if we were to think about fasting from food, there might be some health questions with that. I fully understand that. I, I really do. But I do also think that there are some of us here that we will opt for the easier option to fast for a, a social media, a show. I'll fast from just eating, you know, I won't eat Burger King anymore. I'll fast from that for these next however many days. That's an easier route. Can I, can I just share with you, like, 
I've fasted from shows and I've had incredible, you know, encounters with God as I fasted from social media for seasons or, or maybe for some of us, it's I'm going to fast from uh, Starbucks. But when I fasted from things like that, I've had these incredible moments. But can I just be very real and raw about it? Like it wasn't that much of a struggle for me. First two, three days. But there was nothing physically that was demanded of me. There was nothing physically demanded. But when I fasted from food, God has always shown up in amazing and radical ways. There's been days where early on in... um, my relationship with dating my wife, I started to have these conversations with different people about like, hey, do you know she's one? I'm like, absolutely. And it was like a year and a half in. And they're like, dude, like, when are you going to propose? I was like, whoa. That P word terrified me. Because I had so many questions about who I was, my, my identity was under attack. My purpose in my life was under attack. I had this self under attack through sin and temptation and different addictions that I was wrestling with and struggling with and trying to be delivered from. And then to throw in this idea of possibly proposing and bringing somebody else into that mix was terrifying, right? And I remember, right? I remember so often what it meant to fast. And through fasting in those moments, God started to just speak to me. He started to show up. He brought me back to the story where Jesus gets baptized. And he says, he says, here's the reality for you, Kyle. As Jesus goes under the water and then into the wilderness immediately, in the water, the word came over Jesus. This is my child. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. But then in the wilderness, what happened when Jesus was tempted? The word came out of him. Ooh, the word came over him in the water, but it came out of him in the wilderness. As he's tempted, what did he do? He quoted scripture because he was anchored deeply into the word and presence of God. The word must not flow over us. It's not something that we just read and then forget. It's not something that we just show up on Sunday morning, check the box and never pick it up again. It has to flow through us. It has to become such a deep anchor in our souls that we can't do life without it. Because it's in the water that we know our our identity. This is my child. I'm so proud of the step that they're taking. I'm so proud of the relationship they're seeking. But when we step out of the water, we step into a reality that there are storms that we are going to face in our lives. And if the anchor is not deeply rooted in this, we're going to search for an anchor in something else in this world. And it's not going to hold. Because it's in the wilderness, our identity is cemented and it's tested. And when we are in the wilderness and the trials of life, we're going to have a choice. We can turn to the things of this world that's going to fade away. It's going to quench the thirst for a moment. It's going to satisfy the hunger for just a moment. But it will fade away. Or we can turn to the feast of the bread of life and the living water that is before us. That survivor trip for me, it was my senior year. My senior year survivor trip. 
I remember struggling so hard with my purpose and my life and what am I going to do? Like, where am I going to go? God, what are you going to do in my life? And it was one of the nights as I'm tending to this fire, and it's like three in the morning. I'm like, God, would you just speak to me? Would you just say something? And then there was a moment where God spoke, not audibly. It's not like I heard George Earl Jones' voice or like I, it was not this audible voice, but rather it's just moment of his presence just resting on me and journaling down just what he spoke to me, who I was and whose I was and his purpose for my life. And in that moment, there was just this, this reality of like, God, you are so clear. You are so present. Keep speaking during this retreat. And the next night, there's a brutal storm that hit. You can imagine we are in the middle of nowhere by this man-made lake, and this storm comes in. Wind is, is just raging, and the, the rain is coming down. There's lightning all around, and I'm like, this is such a liability for you guys as a church. And our tarps are flapping in the wind like everything that we thought was going to anchor these shelters did not hold. The lines are snapping. I'm like, you shouldn't have bought it at Dollar Tree. Like, let's go to Menards. And, and everything is falling apart. And we're wondering, like, how is this going to impact us? Like, what are we going to do? Like, my sleeping bag is soaking wet, and I'm not going to sleep good in this. There's this unsettling presence of, like, chaos. Anybody ever been there? But then as we're even sitting there, somebody just says, we just need to start praying. And so we just start praying. God, would you just continue to just show up? Would you continue to do what only you can do? Would you continue to speak and be present? Would you continue just to reveal your heart? And as we're praying, I'd love to sit here and tell you, like, the storm stopped. The wind was gone and like there was no more lightning. It didn't. God didn't cancel the storm that night. But he calmed the storm that I was facing in my heart. He calmed the storm of Kyle, you are enough. The identity or the things that you've been feasting on in this physical world, physical world to find your worth and your value, the applause of friends for what you have done, the cheering of the crowd and the athletics, the group you were hanging out with, all of this isn't filling the deep hole you have in your life right now. But I want to. I want to. He showed me his heart, showed me his desire and his call. And he started to ignite a spiritual hunger that I had. That physically I still was starving at survivor camp. But spiritually, I was so full and satisfied. It's because Jesus quenches your hunger and your thirst for purpose in your life. And once you taste his presence and his love, once you taste it, you will never hunger or thirst for purpose again. It's because we fast to seek and submit to God's will in our lives. So this week, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you in to 
changing your rhythm. Choose one meal this week. One meal where you don't physically eat, but rather you you feast on the word of God in his presence. Choose one meal where you say, God, I'm not going to partake in this food physically, but rather, would you allow me to feast on your presence like I've never feasted before? Would you set the table before me and invite me in? During that time is an awesome time where last week we we gave out some journals and reflection questions. We still have more of those available if you missed that last week. That's an opportunity time, uh, opportune time for you to sit, to open up your Bible, to reflect, to feast on the word of God, to spend 15, 20 minutes just feasting on his presence. What would happen if that became a regular rhythm in your life? Fasting one meal a week. And what happens where one meal a week turns into maybe two? And you start to see God more in your life like you've never seen before. And he invites you into different things that you've never been invited into before. Or you've never known that you were invited into. Because he's been stirring and he's been working and he's been inviting us into it. But we've just had blinders on. Because we've been sitting at a, a table of the world rather than the table that's set before us in his presence. Change your rhythm. Fast one meal this week and pray and journal what God is speaking to you in that moment. I'd love to just pray over us as we continue to worship. Holy Spirit, we know that you have lingered in this place, that you still are moving and stirring. And so, Lord, what I just ask right now is that you would continue to do what only you can do. That you continue to prompt, continue to move and stir in our lives, Lord. And for some of us, if that means that we got to change our posture of worship in this next moment, God, I just invite us into doing that. I invite you to, to prompt us into doing that. If that means coming up to the front and just laying down brokenness that we have as this stage becomes an altar, Lord, we would just welcome that invitation. If that means standing and raising our hands, Lord, we welcome that. If that means kneeling at our seat or, or standing in the aisleway, Lord, whatever you are inviting us into, God, would you give us the boldness to follow you obediently? And Lord, this next week, as we change our rhythm, I, I ask that you would just be present in the change of that, that you would move swiftly as we fast from a meal, that we would encounter you like we've never encountered you before. Lord, I ask for for radical encounters that we would hear your voice and feel your presence like we've never felt before. God, I ask that you would clearly give um, direction for people seeking direction. I ask for healings that may need to take place, Lord. We believe that you are a God that is moving and still moves. And so, Lord, right now we just even ask for deliverance from addictions and bad habits that we need to lose. And we only know, we know that you and only you can deliver us from those things. So in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit and God the Father, we ask for an encounter with you that we will build our lives upon you and your will and your heart and your desires, not ours, Lord. And so we invite you in, Lord, and we know that you are inviting us into your presence as well. So let us just sit in your presence as we just say, today, this morning, come, Holy Spirit, come.